0: Good morning. If you're listening to this, it's on podcast, so a bit of a heads up. This is something of a music special, and for legal reasons, we can't podcast big chunks of music. So, gentle podcast listener, this particular playback might sound a wee bit disjointed. My advice, for what it is worth, go to the RT radio player and use the listen back feature. Or you can, if you fancy, keep trucking here. Just bear it in mind. Either way... I hope you enjoy it. Good morning. On Tuesday, the RT Radio won Folk Awards in Vicker Street in Dublin's Liberties. This is how it started. Wow. What a performance. Stephen, James, Smith and band, with an ode to Tony MacMahon's Den. And what a way to kick off a night that celebrated the very best in Irish folk. And the scene right now, well, it's on fire. More on that later, because we are going rogue for one week only, people. It is all about the music and the dance. Kick off the heels, push back the table, shake a tail feather, cut a rug. Because what is life if you can't have a boogie? But if you think that this is a harmless wee diversion, you would be very wrong. The devil really does have all the best tunes. Or, as Professor of Modern Irish History at UCD Germit Ferreter put it,
1: the evil one ever setting his snare for unwary feet.
0: My dad. Now, the professor had joined Clare to discuss the moral panic in the 30s when jazz had come to Ireland because jazz was fartin' and foreign meant danger, subversion. Sin.
1: What we're dealing with in early 1933 is um, an attempt to try and mobilise people behind this banner. Um, and it's about denouncing pagan music, uh, jazz music. It's deeply racist and xenophobic, of course. It's very much in keeping with that fear and ignorance about Africa. Constant references to the African savages, the music of the African savages. The N-word is frequently employed. This is N-music. This is a subculture. It's lewd. It's suggestive. And the question for them as well, when they're organising a a rally in Mohill in January 1933, it's estimated there are about 3,000 people there. Uh, Who do they target in relation to what can be done about this? And they do identify, obviously, a need to educate people about Irish music and denounce those who are broadcasting foreign music.
0: And as you heard, Leitrim was the seat of the fight against this moral degradation, led by one father, Peter Conifrey.
1: It's important, I think, to note that even by the standards of the 1930s, he was not representative or he was quite an extremist. Mm -hmm. At one stage in 1914, when he was a priest, he had walked barefoot from Athlone to Loch Derg. Uh, And he was moved to a new parish by the bishop, (laughs) who regarded this as quite eccentric. But it gives you an indication, I suppose, of, of the extent to which he was devoted to the idea of making reparation for sin. And he was always encouraging others to do likewise.
0: And all of this at a time when the playing of jazz, never mind the odd shuffle, was a highly political act. Accusations of all sorts flying.
1: There's also an intervention by Sean Ogo who was the General, uh, the Secretary of the Gaelic League at that time. And he made a very intemperate intervention in which he targeted the Minister for Finance, Sean McEntee. And he said that the Minister for Finance, Sean McEntee, had a soul buried in jazz music and that he was selling the musical soul of the nation for the dividends of jazz music and that he was jazzing every night of the week. Mm -hmm.
0: Nothing if not energetic. And that notion of priests shaking bushes to seek out courting couples engaged in dancing of the horizontal variety, not quite accurate.
1: We have this image, of course, of of the likes of Father Peter Conifery with the the, the blackthorn stick, uh, you know, roaming uh, the back roads and trying to to belt randy youngsters out of ditches. Uh, And again, some of that is very exaggerated. The Dance Halls Act was not necessarily always successful um, because there were still clubs that organised their own dances outside of of the reach of the dance halls uh, legislation. The GEA was also singled out sometimes for organising dances in order to raise funds uh, that weren't properly supervised. So it's not that the priests had complete command and control Mm -hmm. uh, over this, but certainly it was a recognition on the part of the state uh, that they did need to tighten the uh, regulation and the supervision of these dance halls, but there were
0: also—and nice- finally, if you do insist on dancing to the devil's music, keep this handy definition in your top pocket.
1: And at one stage in the Doyle of Inifall TD in 1936, asked that question, "What is jazz?" and he gave the answer himself. He believed that it was a cross between a waltz and all-in wrestling. <laughs> uh, as-
0: <gasps> Only if you're doing it right, Dermot Ferreter with Clare. On Sunday, Miss Eleni, more moral turpitude. Here's Conor Lenehan, a self-described cocktail teen sensation.
2: In the summer of 1987, aged 15, I sat myself down at the piano in Dublin's Trocadero restaurant and struck up a jaunty, if callow, rendition of Cole Porter's Let's Fall in Love. So began my career as Ireland's youngest barfly pianist and nine years of interrupting people's dinners. Equipped as I then was, with only ten tunes, my stint at the Troc was understandably short-lived. After all, no matter how lovely Let's Fall in Love might be, the prospect of birds, bees and even educated fleas doing it at half-hour intervals proved too much for all but the most indulgent, drunk or deaf diners. I was gently let go after a month or so and resolved to expand my skimpy set list. The following summer... Now a hardened 16-year-old pro, with repertoire significantly enhanced, my career as a cocktail piano teen sensation really took off. No diner in Dublin was safe from me. I played them all. On occasion, this cocktail piano business could prove highly lucrative for a young hustler. One evening, I came home with, for then, the stupendous sum of £80, having engaged in a drawn-out, coquettish game with a tired and emotional customer. Would you play Martha by Tom Waits? He drawled. Oh, but I really must be getting home, I replied. My poor mother will start to worry herself to death. Another ten-pound note fluttered down onto the piano. Oh, I suppose one more tune wouldn't hurt. Operator, number please, it's been so many years. Those were indeed Days of Roses. Ultimately, when the choice came down to an offer of six months playing in a Bangkok hotel, or participating in the Dublin International Piano Competition, the angel on my shoulder guided me home to Dublin, and I brought the curtain down on my career as a now-aging cocktail piano teen sensation. However, in a parallel universe somewhere, I like to imagine there is a rumpled middle-aged man in a crumpled white linen suit, Still sitting at a white grand piano in the foyer of the Bangkok Marriott, and cigarette clenched between his yellowing teeth, launching just one more time into Cole Porter's Let's Fall in
0: Love. Oh, that was fun. Conor Lenehan, as heard on Sunday Miscellany, back in a bit. Welcome back. And we will return to the epic night that was at the Folk Awards with the mighty John Creedon at the helm. He brought to the Vicar Street stage Rhiannon Giddens to present the award for Best Folk Singer and we'll hear from him a little bit later. But she spoke these words about the importance of song in politics and protest.
3: In every generation, the folk singer is the one to represent the truth of the community, however painful and however hard to hear. We are often the cultural historians, and sometimes the prophets, too often the Cassandras. But uh, what else can we do? From the bombed-out streets of Gaza, to the cities under siege in the Ukraine, to the war-torn fields of the Congo, to the gas chambers of Auschwitz, to the starving villages of Ireland, to the cotton fields of the American South, their heartbreak is our heartbreak. And if some folks won't let us speak, they're damn well, going to hear us sing.
0: (laughs) Bringing us with a lilt and a roar to Bowman on Sunday. And the conclusion of its tribute to Luke Kelly on the 40th anniversary of his death. And this tribute from Con Hoolan.
4: Luke had no one tradition. He was never a purist. Purist is the wrong word. He was never never a snob. He knew Shanos and he knew the ordinary country medicine like Margaret Barry. He knew the folk, the folk, socialist song, singing like Ewan McCall. And I suppose too, he was towards the Beatles. Because the Beatles were folk music in the wrong way, just as as the Connery's is folk music in the old old Gaelic world way. And he embraced them all, and at some, he was exceptionally good. And his best songs, of course, obviously, were the songs that spoke of, I suppose, suffering, human dignity, human deprivation, if you like. They spoke of a world he wished that people like you and I and he could, could inhabit a world which has been a pleasure since time began.
5: Luke Kelly singing here Ian Campbell's song, The Sun Is Burning.
3: The sun is burning in the sky
0: Voice Luke Kelly as heard on Bowman on Sunday. Now it can seem a little pat, a little too easy to talk about the cathartic nature of music, but it also might be true. Honorina Cormac, the master of sampling and collaboration, he is celebrating fifteen years of making music with a gig in the National Concert Hall. Its title Always the Sound A Retrospective.
4: The album is a very personal album in many ways, not least of uh, of which is the track, specifically the track featuring May Kay, which is called Always the Sound. Give me a little bit of the background to this.
3: So yeah, Always the Sound is the name of uh, that track and of my record label, actually. And it was, um, the title comes from a poem my late mum wrote before she died. So she was really, really ill uh, before my wife and I got married, like, uh, terminally ill. Mm. Um, and How long ago was that? That was in 2018. Right. So, yeah, so basically we were married um, in the middle of the month and then she died uh, a week later. So, you know, obviously she wasn't able to make the wedding. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, she wrote a poem or had written a poem basically about kind of, about myself and my wife Trina. But uh, the first half of it is about my sort of Fascination and obsession with kind of finding sounds and hearing sounds. Yeah, and everything she watched and all that, that long
4: before. Well, trainer. <laughs>
3: exactly, and encouraged it, and you yeah. know, um, did a lot to to help me develop it. And when
4: it when something well. is that personal, do you, I mean, it, I'm sure at the time, obviously, it was it was quite difficult. And yes, in of And around the time of the wedding, I'm, I'm sure added Indeed. huge layers of emotion yeah, uh, yeah. into the whole experience. To get the time to to stand away from it and then to go back and work with the music. Does yeah. the does the emotion disappear, or do you, is it just a bit easier to handle? You
3: know, I I I, I to be honest, I saw it as quite a, a fitting tribute. You know, yeah. I think it's something that she, I, I know it's something that she would have liked. You know, um, and the way we approached it is, I kind of took the the poem, I wrote the poem out on a sheet mm. of paper, and just took certain lines from it and handed them to Kay and just said, sing whatever. You know, appeals to you. So, old-fashioned sampling in some yeah, ways. Absolutely again, isn't it? that. Absolutely that. Yeah. It's a cut-up. You know. So, um, yeah. And you know, I, I, I kind of explained what the uh, what it meant to me and stuff. And Mary would be, you know, w- well yeah. able to kind of to handle that yeah. and to treat that as a, 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 as my mum would have wanted. So we were. Um, yeah. No. I like. It's why I called my record label that,
4: and it was a, a right. fitting uh, title for March the 30th. Yeah, well. yeah, and lovely, lovely that her name is there in the record label as well as in, in the retrospective. I, I hope
3: so. I hope so. Yeah.
0: The music of Cormac as heard on Arena. Meanwhile, on Liveline, the case of the missing violin.
6: At 7.50 yeah. on Sunday the 7th of January, a taxi picked up a young boy, a young man, with a, did he just have a violin or a knapsack? In ha- or, a
7: knapsack and a violin. Okay,
6: seven, uh, 7.30 on that Sunday morning, he goes up to Keys to Houston Station. What does he remember so he- about the taxi?
7: He was chatting to the taxi man and okay. he's a middle-aged Romanian man okay. and he's been in Ireland for about 20 years.
6: Great. Did he get his name?
7: Uh, Eon. He said his, Eon. he felt his name was Eon. Okay. yeah.
0: That's Patricia. It was her son who'd left the violin in the taxi and while he plays, he's not a concert performer. So not to be a meanie, but people lose things in taxis every day of the week. They don't make it onto live line, but then you hear just why this violin is so important. You'd be searching the taxis yourself.
6: Tell us about the provenance of this violin because it's very important in your family. It's it's hugely important.
7: There's two aspects to it. the The bow. My, son, my eldest son, yeah. I'm a widow, my eldest son had spent all summer of a school holidays working to save up enough money to buy his brother the bow. Wow. And the violin itself yeah. was given by my husband, who is now dead, oh, to his son. So it's, it's, it's And I promise to give a good reward to anybody who yeah. can come up with this violin because it's more than a violin to us. It's yeah, it's obviously. more than a piece of wood. Obviously. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a Stradivarius, anything like that. Yeah, it's yeah. of no particular value to anybody, but to us it is hugely
0: valuable. Oh, come on, live line listeners. That was around about twenty past two. Ten to three. Patricia came back on the line.
6: Um you, you mentioned the man's name was Ian.
7: Ian, I thought you Yeah. Well
6: his yeah. name his name his name is Ian. And his name is Ian Stimzu. Right. Um, and he has the violin. Oh, my
7: God. Oh, my God.
6: He has Can the violin. Can you give
7: my contact? Of Can you give my contact, details
6: Of course, of course.
7: Oh, God bless
6: you. God just, bless you. God bless him. He just phoned in a few minutes. Now, I don't know what the background is. But he's yes. very shy, but he said he has the violin. He remembers your lovely son. Um, he's currently he's in his taxi at the minute with passengers so we can't yeah. talk because the passengers are in a hurry somewhere but he's adamant uh, that he has he has the violin and that we will uh, repatriate it ASAP
7: Oh that is super news Isn't it good you news? See, you're great. Uh, you're great You're it
6: listeners. But Ian was listening and in his taxi and it rang a bell with him and we hope to get it back to him within the next 24 hours
7: Oh, thank you so much! And i should be playing again. Great!
6: Your son great. should be your son should be playing like <laughs> Nigel Kennedy and Nigel Kennedy in a in a oh, few weeks. Oh please
7: God! Oh please God! Yeah, no, it's a prized possession. Prized and ho- possession.
6: And, and I hope it gives him the lift that he he deserves, Patricia.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Joe, with a story that would warm the cockles of the most cynical of hearts. However. With Claire, heartbreak of the worst kind, break out your country music because only the jilted and lovelorn, no true pain. Simon Maher even has a playlist for it.
8: I love to wallow in misery. You've got people who have the playlist is that when I'm feeling sad, I'm going to put on my upbeat, happy, I'm going to jump around the place playlist. I want to wallow. You know, given the choice, I will stand in front of the mirror crying listening to these songs and it's amazingly cathartic for me. So I love it and I've got a great playlist on my on my Spotify which is called Misery and it's chock full of these You've songs. You've got
9: a Misery playlist. I have a
8: Misery playlist and it is one of my favourites. There's kind of two, I suppose, schools of the playlist. One is the stuff that sounds utterly miserable and is miserable. So that would be all of indie music and all of country music. And then outside of that then there's the more, the poppier stuff, some of which sounds utterly miserable but some of which is like Gilbert O'Sullivan and just sounds lovely but you know yourself that if you're walking along with the dog and the headphones on you know that he's crying inside yes. writing and so singing So if this you song. pay
0: attention to the lyrics you know that this is a very sad song
9: if
8: yeah. you're
0: just listening to the melody you'll be grand Exactly What would be the point of that? Plenty of fish in the sea? No Don't say that
8: It has to be hopeless, you know, (laughs) but it does. It can't can't just be like, you know, is that maybe this will. And even when you're listening to the songs where people are pleading, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know that, you know what the answer is going to be. And you know you want to say, give it up. It's never, ever, ever, as Taylor would say, it's never, ever going to happen. But you know that it isn't. And that element of hopelessness is really important.
0: Embrace the maudlin. Lean in to the sorrow. Wrap it around you like a blanket because let's face it. You've nobody else to keep you warm at night. just sad now.
8: because
9: Carol realises they probably both still like each other a lot but it's just gone.
8: It's gone and that's, it's gone and it's not coming back and I think that's the key to heartbreak is that it's not that this is a temporary, this isn't a bump in the road this is something that's happened and it's just it's, yeah, it's yeah. going to take me a long time to get over any of this so the best thing I can do for myself and for anybody else who's in this situation is write a song about it and she writes them particularly well.
0: We don't know what relationship she was talking about there. Do no, we?
8: no, she was married to James Taylor at one stage like you know so you can imagine the dinner table must have been gas crack some days like you know but I think there was he probably had more moments of joy musically at least you know whereas you know a lot lot that particularly lives on the likes of Tapestry is bleak but again beautifully done
0: and finally Simon's own top choice not just love lost but end of day's pain regret what was it all for mixed with salty tears or better still Stoic repression, albeit delivered by Mar in quite the chipper tone.
8: It's a cover of a great indie track. Mm-hmm. So Nine okay, Inch Nails, okay. Yeah, so Trent Reznor wrote "Heart" for Nine Inch Nails, and it's a great song. It's a great song about his life, and it's one of those songs that people loved it at the time. It wasn't that suddenly Johnny Cash came along and did a better musical version of it, but immediately he owned the song, and people just reflected it onto his life. Mm-hmm. And it's all about regret. Everything every second brilliant. of it is about regret and, he, he, and it is it's, it's one of those and it's a her standing up on the back of your neck song
0: oh it is that take it away Johnny
8: what have I become
6: oh,
0: back in a bit welcome back clubbing till dawn do you still have it in you of course you do But if playwright Emmet Kerwin's tally of the nightclubs we have lost is anything to go by well, he might be hard-pressed to find a dance floor. He was chatting to Oliver about the 10-year anniversary of Dublin Old School. His play set in and around the city's dance scene.
10: So that decade went from you being the artist, hip to the scene... And oh, even yeah. then
9: I was a how-do, how-do fellow kids <laughs> I, think it was, I might have been even a bit old then uh, Yeah, you know, I sw- yeah, maybe
10: Maybe it's, yeah, the the club scene is fine, you just haven't seen it <laughs> It is, it always is, that's it is a, Every every generation lives a different type of youth I was yeah. mention some of those clubs actually have closed down uh, The Tin yeah. nightclub, as is there, they're mentioned in Dublin Old School Tripod, Red Box, Reraw. Yeah. The, yeah. Temple the Temple Theatre The Temple Theatre as well, yeah. That, yeah I remember that one in my day when I went to DC brilliant, yeah Bondi Beach Club in the south side Never went to that now Barcode, that's... That was the north side it? version of it, Beside wasn't it? the big gym there, yeah, yeah. The Kitchen
9: Was that one of the Clarence? That was one of the Clarence, yeah I think I was kind of a bit young for that as well I don't know, I'd never...
10: Yeah, and Andrew's Lane, which of course is the Andrew's Lane was brilliant, which is now... An apart hotel. hotel.
9: There you go. Well, that's what happens. We keep on tearing down all the cultural centres and throwing them into hotels.
10: That's what the post-crash was
0: all about. Uh, yeah. And as Kerwin sees it, the dance scene and clubbing culture has changed quite a bit.
10: The nightclub industry, I mean, it's synonymous with drugs, unfortunately, isn't it? The club mm. scene, the dancing, all of that. I
9: think it used to be. I think this generation are... They drink less. They don't smoke yeah. as much. Yeah. I know people might scoff at that idea, but, like, it's... I think that moral panic of the nineteen nineties has never gone away and I don't think it's That's what
10: all teenagers will do drugs and destroy their lives. But this that? is the
9: same arguments they used in the nineteen thirties. You know, so there's always a folk devil that children essentially allow not children, but you know, young people allow to congregate, are gonna get up to no good. I think they're adults. I think we need to allow them to if they wanna go to dance venues, that you know, discriminating against a particular form of dance music because there's a fear that something will proliferate there. That's not borne out in evidence, really. I don't think.
10: Mm-hmm. Uh, the citizens' assembly on drugs and the outcome—you would agree largely with that, think. Yeah,
9: and I think it's
10: turned it into a health issue rather than a. It should be a
9: health-led. Health. Um, it should be a health-led issue. All of the things that were put forward have been agreed upon. It's just a case of the government legislating for that. That's, I think, that's a long way away.
0: though. Emma's Kerwin with Oliver. Meanwhile, Ray hands in the ear like he just don't care. Darcy, he's on a mission.
4: I think there's a severe lack of dancing and it's so good for us. All all the philosophers, the doctors, uh, it's good for your, your body, it's good for your soul, it's good for your mental health. Why don't we do more of it? That's the big question today. And How can we organise it? Can we go on the road and bring a, a sort of a, an afternoon disco on the road or something like that? Every so often I'll hear a song on the radio or one that that, that Kate or Tom are playing on Spotify and I'll go, oh, I wish I was in a nightclub. I wish I was hearing that pumping out on a big PA system and just throw myself around <laughs> with gay abandon. Um I think we're not we're not dancing enough, lads. We're not dancing enough. There you go, I've said it. <laughs> it's controversial. And and I'm not talking about organized dancing classes, learning to jive and, and to pass a double and all that. I'm talking about just throwing yourself around, throwing your limbs in the air, just going writhing. That's WRITHING you know, just going with it the bass in your stomach and mm, mm, mm. Like, wh- where do you do it where do, where can you do it anymore come on huh? we all should be dancing we should be dancing i think now i'm sure yeah you should be dancing you should be dancing so run with ray now we're going to organize some sort of afternoon disco that's 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 coming up that's going up We'll get into a darkened room with a big PA system.
0: Bring it on, Darcy. We have never loved you more. And he's right. We do seem to get out of the habit of it.
4: What happens? You know, you do it, you do it as a child and then you do the organised things and you go to a, now nightclubs. They're, they're, there's few and far between of them. Uh, and then at some stage you stop dancing. You might do it at the odd 21st or a 40th or a, or a wedding. But in the main, most of us don't dance. Now there are organizing, you know zumba classes and, and there's other types of dancing. and then later in life, you, you, you sort of you're encouraged to dance again.
0: But what happens in the middle?: We get a bit stuck and not to the sticky dance floors of our youth. Here to Unstick Us, Dr Peter Lovett, dance psychologist no
5: less. It's true that some of those club settings are, you know, they're not available to us anymore and okay. perhaps we're not going to those celebration events. But, you know, we can dance in every single place. We could dance in the high street. We could dance at home. We could dance in our kitchen. At work, we can dance. We yeah. could have work break, dance breaks at work.
4: OK. Um, so well, yeah, well, I'm going to stop but, you there, Peter. Just tell us why we should be
5: dancing because you, as I say, you're an expert on the benefits of dance. So lay them out for us. Okay. Well, look, dancing is fantastic for both your physical and your mental well-being. Now, I'm a scientist, and I came into this as a sceptic, thinking, now, there's no way that dancing could help your mental health. There's no way that dancing can help your physical health. And years and years and years of doing scientific research in this in a university lab, we found that the opposite is true. It is the case that when you dance, at least these improvements. Now, at least the four areas of improvements are social connection, our thinking, our emotions and our physical body itself. Now, each of those ones, like for social bonding, we know that when people dance together, even really informally, that it increases how much they like one another, they trust one another more and they show more pro-social helpful behaviour towards each other, Mm. which is just amazing. So for social connection, it's important. For thinking, we know that when you move your body in different ways, it changes the way that you think. Now you might be thinking, why do I need to change the way that I think? Well, let's imagine you're you're suffering from anxiety, and you've got this kind of low self-esteem, and you're thinking, oh, everyone hates me. Um, there's no point in me trying to do this because I'm b- bound to fail. There's no point in me asking the person to marry me because they're going to say no. All of those negative thoughts. We know that when you move your body, it changes the way that you think, oh. and then emotionally, oh my word. Now dogs, we know that dogs have a brilliant way of expressing their emotion. They wag their tail and they lay on their back so you can rub their tummies all day long. And as humans, we live in a society where we've kind of stopped doing that. But actually, when we move our body, it's like giving ourselves a tail to wag. We express emotion, we communicate emotion with other people, and that feels really fantastic. And finally, our physical body. We know that when we dance, it's not just an act of jigging around your sitting room, but instead what's happening is there are hormones being released, neurotransmitters are going bonkers, our pain thresholds go up, our muscles and our joints are working, our heart and our lungs are pumping... It's a really good thing for us physically. So those four things, it's good for us for our social, our thinking, our emotions and our physical body too.
0: Pushing back the kitchen table as we speak. But that old thing, dance like no one's watching. Grand for a fridge magnet. In real life, kind of tricky.
4: I'd be worried now if if I was to be seen dancing in public that I'd be accused of dad dancing. Because I am a dad dad and there would
5: be dancing involved. Uh, That's not a term that, that I like. I'm afraid of it. No. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what a shame that we've got to that point, isn't it? That dad dancing is even in the Oxford English Dictionary saying it's something that's quite a ridiculous activity. But actually, when we know that when middle-aged men dance around, it's really good for their health and their well-being. Yeah. You know, In terms of reducing... Well, there were some studies looking at middle-aged men who'd had heart attacks, and half of them were sent by their doctors to dance and half of them were sent to the gym to get physical exercise. Right. Over a 12-week period, the guys who went to the gym eventually stopped halfway through because they got bored going to the gym. And because of that, they weren't getting the cardiovascular workout. Uh-huh. But the guys who went to the dancing group, there was all these guys came together to dance and they were laughing and joking about each other and they were dancing together every week and their cardiovascular functioning improved over the 12 weeks after they'd had the heart attacks. So actually coming together, if we can get rid of this notion, the negative aspect of dad dancing and we can embrace dancing together, um, or wouldn't that be a great thing? Oh, I'm dancing to this. See, so it doesn't have to be 100 miles wish- an hour. No. Just feeling that beat... And even just doing a two-step on it. Step, touch, and step, touch. And feeling that your hips go makes you smile.
0: I bet you are shimmying just a little. But if you're there going, oh, I just can't cringe, you could try singing. On Symphonics with Sheila Dempsey, conductor David Brophy.
11: We know singing is good for you. When you sing... On your own your brain releases two things oxytocin and endorphins and those naturally produced drugs from your brain going into your body into your bloodstream they're a very good for you then you couple that with singing in groups either a choir or even sing in a social context like in the local pub or at a family gathering something else then happens apart from the the oxytocin and the endorphins after a few minutes of singing together we know that our heart rate starts to you know coalesce in quite a narrow window and that kind of makes sense because we're all singing the same things that means we're all singing the same length of phrase and we're all breathing in a similar way sort of moving in sync with each other so that's the second thing that's that that is very good in terms of group singing but then finally when you couple all that together and we sing for an audience it's clear that you know the oxytocin and endorphins teeming through our bodies and then this sense of community and togetherness we get singing in a group that shows in our faces the audience are greeted with this energy these faces from singers who they wouldn't normally see and they wouldn't normally find that kind of energy it's a totally unique energy and then that kind of creates a kind of circuit a, a loop of electricity between the performers and then the audience and this Electricity that that that's formed between performers in a group and an audience is what makes, I suppose, choral music and group singing in general, like such an amazing thing, such a unique phenomenon, and and a uniquely human phenomenon.
0: David Brophy, well, we are almost at a finish here on playback, but not quite. From the Folk Awards, this is Ono O'Keeffe a big winner on the night, and here he's singing "Only the Earth." And by the way, you can listen back to the whole night on the RT radio player or watch it this evening on the telly, assuming you're not out clubbing. What a finish. And that is it from this week's Playback. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.